it sucks, man. My job stiffed me on my paycheck. I don't have enough for rent. I barely have enough for food. What, what, what am I doing with my life? Mr. Norris? I take it you're Mr. Norris, I presume? And what's it to you? Mr. Norris, my name is Mr. Walski. I work for the DT Laboratory. My purpose is to rehabilitate those who are either neats or really down on their luck. Mr. Norris, I'm here today because you've been selected to take part in an experiment, which includes an offer you might not be able to refuse. Um, uh, sounds kind of fishy. So tell me, what does this experiment entail? Ah, I have in my hand a blue pill. Should you choose to accept, you get to relive your youth all over again. But I must warn you that the language and content you use might not be appropriate for this experiment, so discretion is advised. Be warned that any attempt to spoil any details of the experiment, or any other experiment, may result in an early end, so it's best to let the series run its course first. Just know that any views and opinions expressed are your own, and do not reflect the laboratory as a whole. But should you choose to decline, I have in my hand a red pill. It's nothing special, it's just some aspirin from the local corner store. It should help with that hangover you're having. So, what do you say? I'm in. Think about it. nothing adventure, nothing gained, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes, day after day, I ask myself, what does it mean to adult? I mean, you gotta wonder if life flashes before your eyes. I wonder, did you make the right decisions? Did you have fun? Do you wish you could do it all over again? You ever wish you had a real life? Well, that's what we're here to find out tonight. Hello everyone and welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where a group of adults get together and discuss the latest in English dubbed anime. I'm Jamal and tonight's a special occasion because it's my birthday and I'll get high if I want to but I'm not really gonna because why would I want to? <laughs> yes, it's my birthday ladies and gentlemen, albeit two days late. <laughs> Happy birthday! Oops. Look, scheduling in life happens, it's the best we can afford. Either way, it's the birthday thought that matters. Yes indeed. Yeah, sometimes it's better late than never, which is probably going to be a running theme for tonight. Mm-hmm. And, and here to celebrate with me have my buddies, Amon. Howdy, howdy, friends. And Andrew. Please do not break the law when it comes to the experiments. Pretty please, don't break the law. And tonight, we will be discussing the English dub of Real Life. Wait, the wait, wait, wait. Real Life? I thought we were here to discuss ReZero. I'm out of here. This is bullshit. I'm not going to lie. There have been times I used to confuse the two. So <laughs> I too wish many, many. I wish we could be here to talk about recreators, but uh, Amazon. Why you look, look, as long as it's not rewrite, okay? Rewrite? You know what? There, there are too many animes with re in the name. Ah. Put a moratorium on that. This is confusing. Look, don't you want to talk about Tokyo Ghoul Re? See, their re comes at the end of the title. That's harder to confuse. Uh. 
Well, that's a good yeah. revelation to have. Boo. Oh, it's a it's a boo, but C minus. You know what? Look, at least I don't have to retake my exam again with a C minus. Anyway, we'll be talking about the WWE Life, the 2016 anime by TMS Entertainment and Double Eagle. Double Eagle. Yes, the same studios behind Kamisama Kiss, the Fruits Basket reboot, and the new Baki anime. TMS has definitely been around for a number of years for sure. I also I know. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the show have a interesting release when it first came out? Yes, it did. As a matter of fact, this show came out in summer 2016. And for those of you that followed us, you would know that this was one of part of the shows that was a candidate for our fall election arc. Yeah, back when uh, Funimation and Crunchyroll had a partnership. Back, back when the relationship was still nice and fresh and now they're not working through divorce court. Unfortunately, they decided to see other people in Crunchyroll since got gotten in bed with Sentai, but that's a different story. It's like a Fleetwood Mac biography in here. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. What a deep... I, what a very old cut. And that's a good theme for tonight. Uh, yeah. Yeah, before we go our own way, for those who have not watched this show, here's a quick synopsis for you. Arata Kaisaki is a 27-year-old loser with nothing going for him. After quitting his first job in three months, he struggles to get his life started and stuck up relying on his parents for money. Not ideal for someone claiming to be an adult. With the help of a mysterious pill, he's given the opportunity to start over, sort of. Though he's still technically 27, he is the body of a teenager and a chance to redo the last year of high school. If he's successful, he'll have a new job and a new life. But if he screws up, he'll be another year older and still a complete loser. Is this a promise for a change or a setup for more failure? Hmm. I will say this. I know you've talked about this show in the past before, but I have... I kind of looked at this as a, oh, I'll get around to it eventually kind of thing, and didn't really pay it any mind. Then when I was picked to be on your birthday episode of Choice, I figured, hey, it gives me a chance to finally watch the show, give it a shot, give it a fair, fair shake. I am really glad I checked this show out now. Thank you very much. I will have opinions, but just to set the tone for tonight, when I went into the show... I expected Zac Afron 17 again, the classic feature film starring Zac Afron as a dad who is going back and becoming 17 again and going to school and wacky hijinks ensue. What I actually got, in a way, I got your name before your name. More on that later. Wow. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. All I'm going to say is the last two episodes or so gave me a very big Your Name vibe. And we'll No, no, no. What is this Zac Efron movie? What are you fucking you talking about? Oh, are you telling me you haven't heard of the classic cinematic masterpiece that is Zac Efron 17 again? 
Wait, no, actually, no, wait. I have a good point of comparison, because I realized something while I was watching this. What's that? In 2016, I was the same age as the main character. Ouch. So, I this is you know how when he talks about not getting the, 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 the his peers now because they're all, like, ten years younger than him? You're, That's ooh. this right here. You're now that guy. I mean, I was always that guy. It's just now I'm an age-appropriate version of that guy. Hmm. Anyways, yeah. here's the synopsis of Zac Afron 17 again. God oh, shut no. up! No, it's a real movie! <laughs> I know it's a real movie, but what? Really? We're doing this tonight? <laughs> Why wouldn't I do this tonight? You, you come here on his birthday. Are you telling... Look, I can't wait to talk about our main character, who is probably played by Zac Efron in the Hollywood adaptation of this movie. Oh, good God. Now, we will be discussing our thoughts on the dub. This is a full review, and as such, we have no predictions, because it's a three-year-old anime. It's already out on Blu-ray at this point. Well, the, f the first series is three years old. I believe the last few episodes are more recent. Yes, and as such, we will also be covering the OVAs. And as of course, we always start with our ADR director and scriptwriter. There is an assistant ADR director, but only for the second OVA. Our main ADR director is Jeremy Inman. Our assistant director is Anthony Bowling. And our scriptwriter is Jared Hedges. Jeremy Inman, you've seen him direct shows such as Golden Kamui, Hakata Tokotsu Ramens, and My Roommate is a Cat. Anthony Bowling, you've seen him direct other shows such as Knights and Magic. He was an assistant on the Moros Mononokian and God of Anjan line. Jared Hedges, you've seen him write other shows such as Akiba's Trip, Full Metal Alchemist 2003, Rachel Bahamut Genesis, and Star Blazers Toy 199 and the 2202 movies. So, uh, I guess we need to figure out a pecking order. All I know is I'm going last, so. Wanna do this alphabetically? Uh, what's. Actually, that's a good question. Oh, wait, Amon's alphabetically. Oh, wait, are you counting real name alphabetical or username alphabetical? Whichever one. Uh, okay. Uh, Do you want to go first, Andrew? Um, I, I was okay a waiting, to be honest, but if, you, if you'd like me to go first, I can. So, okay. I will say this has been an interesting project to look back on because if I recall correctly, I believe this was one of... Uh, Jeremy Inman's first solo joints, so to speak. I'm not sure if this was his first first. I'm pretty sure it was not. But I think this was, like, the year he started becoming a solo director because I recall he was working under uh, Christopher Bevins for a year or so on some projects. I know that for sure. And this was one of the... From what I can recall, one of the first times I saw him... Uh, soloing a project. And it was interesting going back to that. This is a rather small cast. It's a couple of mm -hmm. people who were pretty... There's, it contains a couple of people who are Funimation veterans, a couple of people who were still relatively new or green in the Funimation sphere, at least one person who's who was more of a regular over in Houston, and this is a really 
interesting ensemble cast of characters. You needed people to be emotional. You needed people to be dramatic. You also needed people to be really funny. You needed to have uh, the pretty boy be a dense dumbass. You need to have the sporty girl who was kind of jealous but also shy and flustered. Uh, you needed the good girls. You needed the Moe standoffish girl. You needed the old soul guy. You needed the girl who act- who's trying to be younger. Okay, I'm saying a lot of things. This is a demanding ensemble cast of, like, at least ten or so regular people. And you have to work with this cast pretty regularly throughout the entirety of the show. And you have to bring out a lot of different sides of them. You have to bring out their insecurities. You have to bring out their emotional beats. You have to bring out their co comedic timing. This is a show that is hilarious when it needs to be hilarious. A show that is heartbreaking and really sad when it wants to be. And all the while earnest and genuine. This is a really strong cast of characters. A lot of these performances are really strong, with at least one or two of them now becoming some of, like, my top five favorites for those particular actors. This is a show I really regret sleeping on, and I can say that much. The dialogue also feels pretty natural for the most part. There's a couple of really cute lines of dialogue. Uh, the banter is great. These, this kind of feels like, it feels like what a sitcom would be, but also a genuine, okay, this is going to sound kind of weird and maybe a bit of a discredit. This feels like a, it, this feels like one of the good dramas you would find on ABC Family. I actually think they've renamed it. Uh, Freeform. I think that's what it's called. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This feels like one of the better, like, teenage soap opera dramas you would find on, like, ABC Family or Freeform. And I actually mean that in a very sincere way. This feels like something that you could probably watch as a legitimate, uh, like, drama with teenagers or adults pretending to be teenagers. Also, can I say with that premise, this is a surprisingly classy show with a premise like that because when you see anime and you're like, oh, old guy pretending to be young guy, you think, oh boy, this could go in all the wrong directions. They maybe reference that like once or twice and the one time they acknowledge it, the guard dog boyfriend character is like, don't you fucking dare look at her, you Gavy piece of shit. <laughs> and that was a great moment. Uh, the script is fun. I'll mention a lot more specific lines in regards to certain characters, but Jared does a very solid job with the dialogue of this show. And the direction is really strong and impeccable. And Jeremy Inman brought out what I would probably say are at least like some of my favorite performances for certain actors. And some of these are actors I really like, too. And that's saying a lot. So, Jeremy, you did good, friend. This was amazing, and you did great work. Okay, then. I'm on. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm mostly in agreement. This is a really well-done, really high-quality dub. Um, like, uh, like Andrew was saying, like, this is a 
This is a very solid ensemble cast. I think everyone is really well cast, both for what their characters need and how they relate to the like other major characters they interact with. Uh, everyone's really just like fun and entertaining. This is this might sound like a weird compliment, but this is one of the dubs that I've watched where I was never very cognizant while listening to it that it was a dub. Like it, it all it felt fitting enough that yeah, like you, you, this, pretend you have a version of me that doesn't know anything about anime. You could yeah, you could convince me. It's like oh no, this was originally done for English. It's just done in an anime style, but it's not a dub. This is all original dialogue and performance for this show. So I have a question. Makes... In this scenario where we're pretending you know nothing about anime, are we just pretending mm -hmm. you are like the the dusty music comic book snob who has never touched a Japanese mango once? I mean, those exist, yeah. Okay. Um, you made me lose my train of thought. Oh, no. shit, I'm sorry. Um, uh, the, 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 it's, it's good. Um, yeah, um, everybody is really well cast. Uh, I think Jeremy gets really good performances out of everybody. Everybody feels very natural. Uh, this is a relatively like grounded show, and I think the dub reflects that very well. Like there, you know, there is you know silliness and gags here and there, but everybody sounds like a person. Uh, these all sound like people I might have known like in high school myself, or teachers, or something like that. Um, if I could bring it back to I think what you were trying to say, uh -huh. it's kind of less like you were see you're hearing these characters as i'm familiar with this voice actor it's like hey i'm seeing this character exclusively as their character and that's just how they sound yeah no that that's certainly an aspect of it like i didn't i didn't spend a lot of the show think you know like sitting there thinking like ah that's so and so playing that role it 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 was they were a lot of the performances were done so i was just thinking about the character and the character interaction and i wasn't thinking too much about like kind of the mechanics behind how it was made um and there's certainly like dubs which and keep in mind dubs i enjoy uh that i think are very good where i'm a little more cognizant of that for one reason or another you know there's a very recognizable voice in it you know any number of reasons uh, but I think I, I think this benefits the show immensely because I think it allows the drama and the comedy and the the character stuff to shine through all that well, um, especially for a show like this, which I think starts like kind of goofy. You know, it's it starts off a little like there's this big like high concept conceit, and then it's kind of funny for a while, and then about two two thirds of the way through the season, it just sort of drops a big brick on you for a couple minutes. Oh, I know uh, that that, 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 then that then comes back yep. up again during the OVA, and I think it handled that legitimately super well. Like, those are some of the best, like, abrupt turns to heavy drama scenes that I've seen, not just in anime, but like in any media, and I think that stuff in particular was handled really, really well. Those scenes in particular, I was very impressed with like the direction and the writing of the performances. Because uh, I think when, when you do that, that's always the spot where you can slip up the most. And I thought this was executed flawlessly. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I also slept on this show when it came out. I think I just wasn't very aware of it while I was airing. Um, but if it had, like, I, I'm, I'm happy I got a chance to watch it now. This is clearly like one of the better dubs that was coming out that year. And I'm happy I finally got a chance to see it. Mm. Yeah, so I've been wanting to talk about the show for a long time because I will admit, back when the first wave of dubs came out from Crunchyroll, yeah, there was it got lots of bugs of independent projects like 
Yuriana, Stan Parker, that kind of stuff. And I will admit, I watched this show because of one particular actor that showed. If you know me, it should be no surprise. Oh, it's not. What? It's not at all. To which, when I actually started to watch it, I was kind of intrigued. I really liked the premise a bit. And the way Jeremy Emmy handles this show, it, w- it was very exquisite. Because I went out and got in the Blu-ray just to listen to the commentary. And one of the things he mentioned is that he never really gave the cast A notes on the show. So that he could let them take a more natural approach to their characters. And yeah, and I, and I found that to be... a I found that to be very convincing because, and this is one thing I realized now with Jeremy Emmett's director style, it's either he can find shows that are like poignant and I guess in a way kind of like a self-reflect, a self-reflection kind of thing, like my roommate is a cat or... So, or, so just, to, just to continue off what you're saying, it basically sounds like, did, did he work with the actors to build the characters? Was that kind of what you're saying? I... No, he no, he worked with the actors, but they built the characters on their own. He just gave them a nudge, kind of like pretty much how Arthur has a nudge from Rio. Ah, so what you're yeah. saying is he was less a director and more of the handler of the actors. More or less, yeah. Interesting. I've got to look cool. into that now. Now that I know that this has commentaries, which episodes in particular? It only has commentary for episode 13. Okay, that's still a good one to have commentary for. Yes, because I remember because I remember it's him and four other actors we will get into later, but one of the questions he asked about the show is if they would take a relapse themselves, to which he kind of would just to redo his senior year of high school, but... Which I learned some pretty good stuff about him, but that's not for this episode tonight. What is important is... He matches to handle the characters very well. And I like how the interaction feels natural, even though they record what time in the booth. That haven't been said with Jared Hedges' script. It, it, again, it felt pretty natural to me. It was like it was like, cause I can't remember the last time we talked about Jared Hedges on this program, but I do know when I watched Rage of Bahamut years ago. It it was pretty much more or less the same feel, cause. Although I will admit, there was a couple of lights that were ad-libbed. <laughs> but they kept faithful to the story. And I guess I guess because, you know, with subject matter like this, it's not something you can just play off as easy. And you have to try to go with the flow the best you can. But not detract from it too much when you're translating it. But I think he did a very, very good job with this script. And I know Anthony, he only did one OVA, but... What, OVA 2... Oh yeah, that was the cat. That was the fest, the school festival. The school festival was a really nice treat. It was a nice treat to enjoy. I think it was nice that he would manage to work on it. But overall, everybody played their part very well. Kudos to you, Mister Enman. Man, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what you do next. But <laughs> he's got he at this point ever since real life. He's gotten quite the nice uh resume of Inman anime, so to speak. Or oh, in Manime in, hashtag. <laughs> in Manime, yes. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's not trademarked by the way, according to him, so it's not trademarked yet. 
You should get. He said you. You he said you can't. You said you can't trademark the power of an anime. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but if I did that, I'd just be a dick. Mm-hmm. Oh no no! You trademark it and then give him the trademark as a gift. Ooh, okay. He's too, he's too humble to do it himself, clearly. Oh, it's it's the mind it's playing the mind games like Rio. Actually actually Spe- I, I imagine he could be too humble to do it himself, but you know. Speaking of mind games, let's get right into the characters. Yeah. I know I know the first section is gonna be very interesting to talk about with the adults in the group. Yes, I know our our main characters are adults. Half of this cast know. is technically full of adults. Technically, yes. Technically. So, we will be talking about Kokoro Amatsu and Michiru Saiki. Mr. Amatsu is pretty much artist teacher as soon as he starts his term at a Alba High School. I gotta remember it's Alba High School. I was at Alba Suzukase. <laughs> at Alba High School, she's a, she's pretty much artist teacher, homeroom teacher, girls volleyball captain, and club advisor. Oh, man. Arta did not make a good first impression on his first day of school. Oh, God. I, I want you to say who plays her first before I go into that, because that's so good. Yes, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Calm your titties. I will not <laughs> contain my memories. They deserve to be loud and proud. Thank you. And I just got the worst mental image of my life. Please don't say anything else. <laughs> Yeah, before we do that, we also have to talk about Michiru Saiki, who we learned that it was Arta's mentor back at his old job, which he quit after three months. Pretty much, he le- she taught him that at some points in life, you have to play with the big boys in order to get by. You have to grow up a little. And Arta didn't listen, and as a result... Uh, Prepare, bite down your fists, viewers. Uh, she committed suicide. Yeah, I, I was kind of reading a little bit of some of that foreshadowing for a while, and then as Amon said yeah. earlier, episode nine happens, and then it's just like, oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a tough to deal with, but. That's what so Arta the kind of develops uh, anxiety issues, which the real life experiment helps him to overcome a bit. But playing these two, Mr. Matsu is played by Caitlin Glass, and Miss Psyche is played by Alex Moore. Caitlin Glass, you've heard her in other roles as Miho Abakada from the Free franchise, Mina Ashido from My Hero Academia. Never heard of her. Um- Bullshit. You're, very, you're very funny, Andrew. I'm hilarious, and, I know. And Umiko Ahagon from New Game. Alex Moore, you've heard of other roles such as The Lot from Maria the Virgin Witch, Mitsuba Sangu from Surf of the End, and Junko Azumi from Tsukigakure. So, since Andrew's not going to calm down, of course he's going to go first. Ah, fine, fine, fine. Okay. Uh, I'll say that I wasn't sure what to expect from the homeroom teacher at first. I wasn't sure how important she was going to be, but through the course of the show, she actually becomes a pretty, like, supportive mentor figure to 
Arta and several of the other kids. It's actually kind of sweet and supportive, and I genuinely enjoyed the relationship and dynamic she has with her kids. But that first scene is gold. Just because yes. it's like, um, are you okay? Like, are you looking for something? Just digging through his bag, and then it's just, oh god, just the fucking scene where she just pulls out his cigarettes, and it's just like, Mr. Kazuki, what is this? Oh, those are cigarettes. Wait, I don't understand. Why is that a- Oh, fuck! Just the moment of getting it, it's like, in my office now. It's like, oh my god, oh my god. Just, and that's just a great, that's a terrible first impression to make, especially since it's your first impression of your second time in high school, which, god, that's, that's, that's a fun time. But, I think- Remember kids, don't smoke that way. When you go back in, when you go back to become a younger version of yourself, it won't be a problem. Basically, uh, but yeah, Caitlyn has this very hilarious tone when she's grilling Arta, but she's also very sweet and supportive towards him, as well as Reina, Honoka, uh, Chizuru, pretty much everybody in the class she's been very kind to, and even like in the graduation ceremony, you don't see her talk much, but you see her genuinely kind of sad and heartbroken at all of her students trying to embrace her and like are sad that they'll be leaving because she left such a strong impression on them that means that she did a good job and i thought that was kind of sweet i think caitlin does a really good job with this character alex moore we hear bits and pieces of but she has a very distinct tone where she sounds older and more business-like she does a good job sounding like a good senpai who is doing her best, but what a heartbreaking, tragic tale of cutthroat corporate bullshit is that she's trying to put it all down, act like everything's okay, that everybody is trying to destroy her and ruin her until it becomes too much. And even then, it's just like... They act like, oh, she died because she couldn't bear to think of life outside of her work it's like that's that's fucking awful but i totally believe that is the bullshit that would happen in the japanese corporate world yep and that's mm. fucked but alex does a really good interesting job with this particular character and it, she eventually kind of strays away from being this nightmarish shadow over his back to that one moment where he sees her clearly for the first time. And, like, after he has talked to his, uh... What, what would you call the two people of the grave? Would you call them his predecessors? His... Well, I'd say more or less successors. Successors, because, yeah. Yeah, because they just started the company... When they go to visit her grave. I like the idea that he has become a legend for basically telling the boss to shove it when shit was fucked up. Pretty much tending like it is. Mm -hmm. Also, I know we're not going to talk about it, but that scene with him and the boss was absolutely chilling. Like, holy crap. 
But no, uh, Alex Moore does a really fantastic job as Psyche, and it's such a sad but fascinating chapter to discuss this particular character. And yeah, Alex does a great job. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. These are both very good performances. Um, Caitlin's, uh, Caitlin just, just really fills the role of um, Misatsu. Amatsu, yeah, Amatsu. She, she just fills that role really nicely. Um, I think I was just saying earlier, like she just sounded very natural in the role. Um, she just. She played it really well. I, I I felt like I could be hearing like someone playing this in like a live action TV show or in a stage play or something like that. And she just it, she sorry yeah. I was gonna say you don't say. <laughs> uh, just she she just she just embodies this like kind of. She's you know stern. She is a teacher. She wants them to do well academically, but she also wants to you know she she's clearly one of these teachers who sees the value in like being supportive to these students. Outside of that, of like trying to, you know, if they're having issues, they want to be someone that they can turn to and talk to about their problems and not just like keep it deep down inside. Um, you get that especially with, um, oh, what's your name? Uh, uh, Tom, uh, Hanako, uh, when she's starting to have a lot of her issues and she's like, oh, you, you can talk to me about this. Like you're like, I'm on your side. Um, you know, not that all of these dramatic teens are particularly interested in talking to their uh, homeroom teacher about it, but she's she's there for them, and um, I think Caitlin plays that very well. Uh, and oh, psyche, oof, the the not fun part of the show. Um, but like Alex, Alex, Alex Moore plays that character really, really well. Um, she's just. You can you can kind of hear the tension in her voice even when, even like she's talking, uh, like very you know she's like having a calm conversation with Arata or something like that. You can kind of hear that tension in the back of her voice where she's kind of just used to being this punching bag for these other people who are you know kind of happy to just crap on her and be actively terrible basically because they're like angry that she's showing them up because she's better at it than they are and that pisses them off. Um, and just, and also the way, like, in her own way, she is also trying to be a good mentor, um, th even through all that, of, like, just trying to instill, you know, this is how you survive in this culture. And even though it's, like, some of them are kind of, like, bad lessons in a certain extent, they, they come from that knowledge of, like, this is what this system is like. And it's an awful system, and it is broken, but we can't fix that, and this is how you get by. And don't let it, like, chew you up and destroy you. Uh, which makes it all the sadder when, like, he can't listen to that advice and things get worse. And she hits, she hits that outcome. And Alex plays a lot of that really well. Um, I've got, I've, I'm, like, a little... I mean, for a lot of reasons, I'm sad that character doesn't show up more often. Uh, but it's uh, Alex plays the role very well, and I kind of wish she had had more opportunity to play that, because I thought she did it very well. Especially given, like, how key a lot of her scenes were to, like, the emotional arc of the story and Arata's story in particular. Um, yeah, these are these are both really strong performances for like key characters, even if they're not ones who are like on screen all the time. Yeah, so uh, Caitlin Glass. One thing I've learned with Caitlin Glass is that in her case when you when she talks you listen. And I thought she had a very commanding presence as Miss Amatsu. 
boy, that Eddie Mobile I see her on screen is like she always has like these little pearls of wisdom to deal out, but also she kind of has like a little self conflict of her own because she has to deal with some of these unruly teenagers who don't really take her as seriously. Like just because like what well, she's a younger person that's in the school faculty is like it doesn't make a difference, you know. Like she shows that she cares. For students very much. Especially when it comes to the volleyball team at points. And Caitlyn did a very good job with that. But of course. The woman of the hour for this section. Is Alex Moore's. Miss Psyche. Because. Although she didn't show up as much. Episode. I want to say it was 90. Either 90 or 11. That was the big one. Uh, I want to say it was. 9 and 11. I think nine's the first one where we kind of piece together. Oh, she! This was a, this was by her own hand. Eleven was the big one where we learn about his past. Yeah, it was eleven, and when we get to the backstory of Arthur, man, what Alex Moore had to react to was just uh, it really kind of just kicks you in the gut, and I I commend her for having to deal with a subject that's as sensitive as that. And, it, it, I know it could not have been easy for her, especially when, especially when people, the employees just treated the suicide like she gave it all, her all for this corporation. They just tried to mask this bullshit. To which, good job, Chris George, for being the shitty boss. Okay, that's who that was. All right, I thought that. Yeah, who it was, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, man. Like, the fact that she could be the pretty much the main driving force behind Arthur's motivations. Cause, and that's what Jeremy pointed out too because the mental arc was one of his favorites because even though it's heavy, it's kind of done tastefully. Mm-hmm. It is. It, explained, it, it, it explains the why of Arthur as a character, but it's not done for shock value. And it kind of gives us more to his plight, you know? And for what it's worth, Alex Moore did a pretty good job conveying that. Now I have to give these two props. Mm-hmm. That haven't been said. Let's move on to high school now. Ah, high school. Where everybody's trying to be friends. Or everybody's trying to be dicks to each other. Or when everybody's trying to put their dicks in each other. And do drugs. That's high school. Uh, Oh god, I'm getting flashbacks now. Don't you forget about me. Don't, 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 don't. Oh my god, that could be the theme song of this whole fucking show. Oh my god. Ooh. Damn it, Simple Minds. <sighs> anyway, yes, we're going to be talking about three friends, three childhood friends, if you will. Don't worry, that kind of trope's not being played tonight. Don't worry, viewers. This, is, this show is better than that. It is. Yeah. It is. Yes. Yes, we have Nobunaga Saji, we have Akira Inukai, and we have Honoka Tamurai. Nobunaga, you don't get to see much of him on screen. He's the class health rep. We do see him first in the in the physical fitness arc. And he is the goodest of boys, and he bridal carries Arata when he's being a shit. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. Every time I see him Bridal carry Arthur. Uh, Josh Groban's You Race Me Up just starts playing in my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's so good. 
Yes. Yes, and Akira Inukai is pretty much a watchdog. I guess, I want to say Emo kind of kid. He really keeps to himself, but it's very helpful with the time comes. Much like Andrew without a big mouth, but... Hey, you stop that. <laughs> you stop that. But, but it's true, though. Just because you're right doesn't mean you're correct. Really? You're doing this tonight? You bet your ass I am. <laughs> okay, okay, I see you. And we have Hanukkah, who's a sports prodigy, who came to Alba because pretty much she's a natural athlete and uh, she feels that her gift kind of just... Takes the, takes the fun out of everything, and not a lot of people look to be a friend. Once she enrolled in Albert, she was instantly befriended by Rina Karyu, who realizes that she's been holding back on her abilities, you know, just to get by. But Harika is pretty much a kind, gentle soul, and pretty much an actress is the reason I started this show, because getting right into it, Nobunaga is voiced by Steven Sanders. Those are words I will probably never say again. <laughs> hey, I believe in Steven that he can play Japanese warlord Obu Nobunaga because he's probably going to be animated in 20 other different shows, sometimes as a teenager, sometimes as a 1,000-year-old lolly character. They do a lot of weird shit with Nobunaga over there. Please continue. Okay, I'm going to forget you said that last part. Akira is voiced by Alejandro Saab, and Honika is voiced by Bryn April. Steven Sanders, you've heard him in similar roles such as Kenji Gion from All Out, Kohei Nikaido from Golden Kamui, Licht von Glanzerak from The Royal Tudor, and Kotaro Azumi from Tsukigakure. Alejandro, you've heard him in similar roles such as Toichiro Suzuki from Cheer Boys, Yusuke Igarashi from Kiss Him Not Me, Uno from Nambaka, and Leonard von Glanzweig from The Royal Tudor. And Bryn April, you've heard her in similar uh, you've heard her in similar roles such as Emily Thomas from Harukana Receive, Nene Sakura in New Game, Yatsuba Nakano in the Quintessential Quintuplets, and young Bruno von Glanzweig in The Royal Tudor. That haven't been said, Andrew, go ahead. I have a serious question right now, Jamal. What do you want first? My impressions of these characters and their performances, or my personal head canon for this trio? Oh god. <sighs> you know what? Let's get the bad stuff out of the way. Give me your head cannon. Okay, you you wanna just open this can of worms already? Okay, let's do this. <clears throat> my personal head cannon is that Honoka, Nobunaga, and Akira are all in a polyamorous relationship. No. Yes. Hear me. <laughs> okay. You. You stop. Hear me out. These three are in a polyamorous relationship. Uh, Honoka is, the is very precious and sweet, but she is very much the center of this group. Nobunaga is a very good, sensitive boy. And Akira is the big little... He's defense, He's defensive of his girl, but he's also defensive of his friend, too. So, here's my personal... Uh, this is going to get a little not safe for work, people. So, just bear with me for a second. 
I cover up your ears, folks. I am of the assumption that Honoka is very much willing to try anything and everything. She's open to all sorts of things as long as her and her partners are having a good time and having fun. Akira looks like the kind of character who would be into the weird shit, but is actually a very shy, blushy mess, and is probably one of the more vanilla ones when it comes to the act of doing the do. Now, Nobunaga, on the other hand, he's a sweetie pie, he's a big boy, he's a precious cinnamon roll, he's probably the one who knows the freaky shit. He probably is the one who does the freaky shit. He probably knows the safe words. He knows how to tie the knots, he knows how to t buckle the belts, he knows how to use the, the belts and the whips. But here's the thing, I say this because he's a health committee member, and he's probably somebody who is also ideal partner for BDSM, because he knows the proper aftercare techniques. He know as soon as the act is over and everybody's had their fun and gotten it out of their system, both metaphorically and quite literally, he does the aftercare, he, he gives them nice sweet cuddles, he gets them nice and comfortable, he pats their heads, he grabs them ice cream, and they watch cartoons together after they've done the do, and they all have a great old time, and they make it work because they're all adorable together. Shall I call Steph now to win in the leash or later? Uh, later. I will behave, but I wanted to bring that up because, look... Tell me you can't see these three in a healthy, happy, polyamorous relationship. I like how not half an hour ago you were praising the show for not going into the skeezy sex lives of teenagers. Only for you to jump headlong into it once given the opportunity. Okay, I should probably clarify. This is like once they've graduated from co This headcanon is when they've graduated from college and they are out in the adult real world and have responsible jobs and are healthy and happy. Sure, Jan. Look, nobody's gonna have the time to do that shit when you're in high school and stuff. Once you're in college, that's when you do the shit. Sure, Jan. Okay. Anyways, now that I've gotten that out of my system, uh, Steven Sanders as Nobunaka is precious, adorable little cinnamon roll. Uh, he is a- he is the goodest boy. He is the best boy that there ever has been boy. He's doing his best. He's a great supportive guy. He's- he's a big tall boy. I ver like it very much. He's sweet. He sounds soft and cuddly, and he looked adorable when they, they were imagining him sleepy. Uh, Alejandro as Akira is really interesting because he's basically just a... Okay, how do I describe it? Um, okay, comparing Nobunaga and Akira, Nobunaga is the sweet, friendly... Uh, uh, what, what kind of dog is Scooby-Doo again? He's a great I Dane. Was. Great Dane. Yeah. is the Great Dane. Akira's the uh, bitchy Chihuahua. <laughs> Akira's the angry Chihuahua. Because here's the thing. You might think he looks a little too intimidating to be a Chihuahua. The reality is he looks very intimidating. But that means he's, he's really all bark and no bite. Because he's really a sweetie. He cares for his girl Honoka. He wants to be there and helpful. But... He's going to tell that one guy who looks a little too old, who's skeeving at his friend on top of another girl, being like, Don't you fucking dare do that. Don't you touch her. I cut you. I cut you. That's what he'll do. And he'll be there for her. It's very interesting hearing Alejandro play a much more, so like, quieter, but angrier, feistier character that talks when he needs to talk and when he needs to get it out of his system and be supportive. 
Uh, but he's really interesting, and he really is headlong when it comes to helping his friend out. Because he sees Reyna, he's like, okay, I'm gonna drag her ass, I'm gonna make them talk. You, you can walk, right? You're gonna listen to this shit, she's pouring her heart out, you're gonna listen, okay? Okay, sit your ass down. I also like when they're doing the, the, uh, butler cafe, and everybody's like, Oh, he's not being rude, he's just doing a character that's very rude, and all the girls are eating it up. Uh, and Bryn is adorable, and precious, and also really sad, and I sympathize with her a lot. I sympathize with her struggle to- where being really athletic, but also being insecure of people judging her for being too good. I really like her putting her heart out when she really wants to be friends with Reyna, and when she really wants to win that game, and when she doesn't win, it's heartbreaking to her, but she's just so happy that Chizuru is helping bring them together again. And it's really sweet, and Bryn is just so naturally sweet and charming as this character, and she's so cute. But she's also a very sporty good girl, and she is precious, and I would protect her, and I hope she has a happy life with her two uh, protective boyfriends over there, and I hope they live a long and healthy life. And practice safe sex. And I'm done. I'm done. I got it out of my system. I'm done. I promise I'm done. I don't fucking believe you. <laughs> I don't fucking believe you. <laughs> Look! Look! You're judging me, but I'm just saying. If they could make- they- this is a couple- this is a couple of characters I could see making this dynamic look. Cause it doesn't look like there's any jealousy or resentment from any of them. They all respect each other equally, and it seems like once everything is done, they would have a good time and cuddles and watch cartoons, okay? Okay. Sure, Jan. Anyways. Um... Oh, how do I follow that one up? <laughs> um, where to start? Uh, let's start. Let's start with um, Nobunaga, um, who I think I think as we have mentioned of the three, he uh, he, he shows up the least. He he stand. I don't know if he like stands out the least, but he's the most like even tempered. Uh, so he doesn't get that kind of like uh, you know uh, you know Alejandro gets to be grouchy. Uh, Hanako obviously has a big whole subplot to herself, so Brynn gets to stretch out a lot in that. Nobunaga comparatively has less to do, but I did like what Stephen was doing with it. Um, he th these three have a nice dynamic together that you can tell uh, as a group. They very much sell like you know oh no these are long term friends and they have been like that for a long time and there is a camaraderie there that I think they all sell very well and Sa and Steven does a good job of that on his part um, and he, he just plays his character as like you know very you know he's very affable um, you know he's very he's very kind and friendly to everybody you, you you buy him as the kind of guy who would volunteer to be like the health the class health coordinator because you know uh, you know, oh, 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 oh no, you've, you've injured yourself on the field with an old man injury for some odd reason. Here, let me help you go to the nurse's office, uh, so that doesn't become a problem further on down the line. Um, he just, he, he seems very, like, sweet and empathetic, and, uh, Steven, I think, does a good job of selling that, even with Nobunaga's relatively limited screen time. Um... Uh, Alejandro, uh, is, he's, he's a lot of, I, I, I liked him a lot as Akira. He was just very... He was very appropriately grouchy. Um, this is not the kind of role I usually associate with Alejandro, because I usually associate characters who are loud, and Akira is not loud. He's he's pretty 
not soft-spoken, but kind of like he's, he's a calm grouchy. He doesn't he doesn't uh, he doesn't yell a lot per se. He's just kind of surly. surly that's the word. He's surly. He's like he's like an irate bartender. <laughs> Oh, I've met those. Ooh, that's, so, a, that's yeah. a good comparison, actually. I can totally see this being a dude who is just a bartender. In uh, in in Weeb Simpsons, he'd be he have most job. Uh, he'd be but, the kind uh, of bartender that would basically like kick guys in the dick who are hitting on other girls and being very creepy when they say no. He'd be the guy to go to that drunk guy and just kick him in the dick and walk him home. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying just kicked in the dick. What I'm saying is, Akira respects women. <laughs> Andrew, have you ever considered just hiring somebody to draw your dojin for you? Oh, <laughs> I have yeah. a lot of ideas that you need to get out. You know what? <laughs> Avon, you joke. You joke. No. But I've contemplated this in the past. Oh my god. <laughs> There's so many ideas and I can barely draw a stick figure with a dog, okay? I, Andrew, I'm just gonna note AO3 has, like, you don't need to pay anything for, uh, for, for a thing on that website. Just putting that out there. You're right! Anyway. And that's a good idea to consider for future... Er, thank you. Thank you, friend. Anyways, um, Alejandro, um, I liked him a lot as Akira. I thought he, he sold that uh, prickliness really well, but again, like, you can tell, like, he is very loyal to his friends, and he does legitimately, you know, like, his prickliness is not, like, a front to push people away, that's just how he is. Uh, and I think, I think, uh, Alejandro sold that, sold me on that very well. He feels like a character who, like, is sincere despite his kind of, like, general grouchiness, uh, to just kind of, you know, that's, that's just his way of dealing with the world. He's kind of cranky about it. And that's fine, and it works for him, and he's happy. Um, but I, th I think I think the, the the star of this trio is definitely Brin because uh, Hanako, as I mentioned, she has her own whole big subplot where she is she is just she's been through a lot because she is used to being uh, she is a sports prodigy and that is not something that she intentionally tries to lord over people but other people feel like she is anyways and that's clearly messed her oh, excuse me uh, messed her up a fair bit and I think Bryn, Bryn just sells the like the qualities of her character so well. She is so like enthusiastic and uh, you know kind and clearly like you know she wants to you know play sports with her friends and ha and you know and it's a team effort. It's not about her. It's about everybody. And that's clearly what she gets out of playing volleyball. Um, but also like once you start getting into like her backstory, just selling like the, the tragedy of that of how like she has had all these expectations and you know kind of gossip said about her and how much that's affected her and how uh like you know meeting reyna really helped her put her in a better place and how she values that friendship a lot and she doesn't want to see that uh get destroyed and i think you know particularly like that monologue where she's like pouring her heart out um to arada and shizuru it's just such a well done performance you can just you, you just feel the the emotional weight of what's been going through her um, especially, for, especially, I, I appreciate coming the way she does it. It does not; it still fits very well with Hanako's Hanako's character, who does not feel like a very like she's not a over dramatic person per se. Like it, it feels very much like this is how this character would work through these emotions in front of somebody. I think that in particular was like probably one of just the highlight of the performance. That and like the bit after they they come together as a team and they still lose, and like her and. Uh, 
her and Rena are just weeping outside the gym, and they're like, "You mean so much to me, you do too." Ooh, yeah. Like this, and then and then Cheese Roots just sit between them, like I got the worst seat in the house. I got crying in stereo. Mm. Oh, that part was great. I, I forgot it. that. I forgot that line. That I did forget the crying line. in stereo part. That's so good. Yeah. Oh, that was that was very good. Yeah, yeah, no, Brit, Brit, I think, really knocks it out of the park in this role. I think she does a fantastic job. I like Alejandro and Steven are also really good, even if, comparatively speaking, their characters don't have as much screen time. But I think these are all big, excellent performances, and I really like them a lot. Jamal, before right. you go, I would like to say something to Amon. What? Uh, there are only seven fan fictions for real life on AO3, and... Are you <laughs> and all of the and I want to report all of the explicit ones are boys love between Arta and Rio and all three of them are in Chinese. I'm okay. surprised by exactly half of that information. Same. <laughs> well, well, if you ever feel the need to bolster up the English language section of the real life fanfic, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is fan fiction writers. May or may not contemplate com conv I may or may not contemplate commissions if you're down for it. <laughs> oh my god. Oh boy. That having been said, uh, I'm gonna start with Nobunaga first. I still and that and this is one thing I forgot to bring up in this the with the casting. Cause I do find with Jeremy's casting some of these characters are kind of age-appropriate. I'll explain what I mean as time goes on, but with Steven Sanders, I do like how he provides a, a stern dynamic to Nobunaga. It's like, you you would think he'd be pretty much a, a background character, but no, he, he does show support when the character calls for it. Huh. But yeah, he shows, yes, he shows support when his character calls for it. And other than that, he doesn't really do much in the show besides show support, like, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing, like, you know, it, it really kind of shows Steven off as, as, a, as an interesting actor I want to get to know more, because I know there was probably one time in my life where I may have confused him with Brandon McGinnis, but that's not for this episode. Uh, Alejandro is Akira. Yeah, you're right, Armand. Uh, that type of voice is not something I would associate with Alejandro, but Alejandro has proven to have... Incredible rage when needed. I mean, he can go deep or he can go very high because I know back when this first came out as a cyber dub, one of the things I heard about the most was S. Uno and Ambaka, and Uno was very much the complete opposite of Akira. But I do like I do like how Alejandro manages to handle the character very well. And again, show support where he needs to, because I, and I do like how he handles the delivery of his lines, because I know it was in, in the second OVA, he kind of gets frustrated with the whole cafe thing. He's like, "What's the line? Uh, something about this is the worst part of his day, or something like that." He really hates his days, and then another line was like, "Wish I could rip off all my clothes and run away from here." And Steven was like, I'm pretty sure you get arrested for that. But I like how they handled that banter back and forth between the two. But of course, for the star of this trio is, of course, Brit April. Which, of course, 
was the reason I started watching this show. Because, because... I'm shocked. What? Shocked to no, find gambling in Casablanca. You don't shut up. I'm going to shock you when we get to A-Fest. Ah. <laughs> because, and this is one thing I like about Brit as an actress. Because sometimes, of course, you hear his boy characters. But when you do see him play more natural characters, because this is her natural voice... And she's not far off from high school age either. She had who sometimes her words tend to carry a lot of weight, and when you kind of need that with a character like Hodica, because you know she has the talent to be proud of, but at the same time it kind of just like hinders her for her social life. And I managed, I find Brynn matched that dynamic very well to the point like that whole crying scene that was. Again, one of the multiple punch to the guts this show gives me. But she... Again, they knocked it out of the park. What can I say? Technically, she she served it out of the court. Yes, I know. You want to just spike in my face while you're at it? (laughs) Ah, yeah. I'm more than happy to uh, dunk it in your court. I've been watching Haikyuu. I actually get some of these terms now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Megan is proud of you. But overall, everybody played their part very well. Everybody did a good job. And speaking of volleyball, of course, volleyball did a pair. So from here on out, everybody here is paired up. Starting with our first pair, we have Rina Karyu. No, I'm sorry. Reina Karyu and Kazumi Yoga. Reina Karyu is a very hard worker. Takes herself seriously a bit too much to the point that like she overexerts herself on everything she does. She wants to be seen as a rival between both Honoka and Chizuru because she feels that she can't get by unless she works very hard. It's gotten to the point that she has made, she may have come to blows with Chizuru a couple of times. One regarding a silver pin, which, despite its benefits, she she kind of sees it more as a symbol of standing equal compared to uh, Kazumi Oga, who is who has a lot of book spots, but my God, he does it's a pound cake when it comes to social life, like. I know there's an expression I've used where sometimes you see it don't say. Kasumi does not follow that expression because there have been many times Arta and Odd, who we'll get to next, have pointed out that pretty much readers in love, readers in love with Kazuomi, and Kazuomi can't really express his emotions. And then it takes, like, what? third. 12, 13 episodes for them to get together? Yeah, <laughs> it takes like 13. Yeah. Well, man, once they finally get together, they start to consummate their new relationship. Oh, it's pretty much the same old business as usual if you see the end of episode 13. But playing these two, Reina is voiced by Alexis Tipton. And Kazuomi is voiced by Blake Shepard. Alexis Tipton, you've heard in similar roles as Mix from Aquarian Evil, Kazade Alba from Keijo, Maria from Maria the Virgin Witch, 
Nana from my roommate's cat, and Yoshino Koharu from Sakura Quest. Black Shepherd, you've heard in similar roles such as Yuzuru Otodashi from Angel Beats, Arata Watai from Chihara Furu, Futoshi from Darling in the Franks, Soma Yukihira from Food Wars, and Liang from Nambaka. Andrew? Okay, so this is a tale between the bra the broad okay the brain and the brawn that is Reina and the brain with the little brawn that is uh Kazuomi. And Okay, let's see, where do I start? I'll start with Kazuomi first. Kazuomi is he is also a very good boy who is doing his best to be very supportive to his very, very <coughs> dumb friend. His very, very dumb friend. But at the same time, while he is a smarty smart boy, he is very dense with a big D. Now, would you say that's the pot card the kettle black? Or? Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But it, he is... He is very clueless and hopeless in regards to his own personal uh, foibles in the world of romance. I will say, I was not aware that Blake Shepard actually did simuldubs prior to Darling in the Frank. This was news to me, and a very interesting discovery to learn. I've also realized I'm still not quite acquainted with Blake Shepard's voice, he has a very casual kind of dude bro tone of voice, and he is a very handsome looking boy. So you would assume that this guy is pretty much a grade A student in everything, which he is. He is a book smart genius boy, but he is really bad at sports, like really bad at sports, like bad enough to be on par with a dude who's 10 years older than him, but looks a little younger, bad at sports. And it's amazing. But he is really dumb and dense. Blake Shepard plays him with this very innocent puppy look to his eyes where he is just trying to have a good time and trying to play him so fun and casually. But you also get to see a lot more of his in internal turmoil when he starts realizing, oh, wait, I think I do like this girl too. Which, okay, one of the funniest moments in the show is... Episode 12, when he finally texts Arta, So, I think I'm in love with Reyna. And he just goes, Oh my god. Finally! And I was just... I said that in my mind verbatim as he said that. I'm like, that is... That's too real. But Blake <laughs> plays him very exceptionally. He plays him as this good, innocent boy. It's also really funny to hear him actually get kind of pissed. At him, where it's like, you are really dumb. I don't want to hear it from you right now. But also how innocent and, like, naive, but kind of beautiful it is when him and Reyna are together on the bridge. And he's just kind of being very blunt and trying not to mess it up. But it's so earnest and cute. And Blake does a great job. And now let's talk about Alexis Tipton as Reyna. Reyna is a very complicated character. Mm -hmm. She is really interesting. She is a smart girl. She is very athletic. 
She tries so hard, but she is not the best in her field. She is being beaten by somebody in athletics. She is being beaten by somebody in uh, academics. She wants to be challenged, but she's also afraid that, like, the people who she's challenging don't even consider her her shonen anime rivals. They're just like, oh, you're my friend, or, oh, hey, it's you. And she is genuinely somebody who is just at odds with what she feels. She is so unsure of how she thinks and feels, and it's tearing her up inside. I honestly think her arc at the beginning of the show is one of the most compelling arcs in the show. Because you see this inner turmoil of her getting jealous at Chizuru. Because she genuinely thinks Chizuru is mocking her. Is giving her these grins saying, I'm better than you. I'm gonna steal your man. As a challenge. As a threat that she will destroy her. Instead of her just being... Which, okay, that's another thing. I love how the show just has this actual explanation of... Okay, show me how you smile. And it's like, oh. You weren't mocking me. You're actually this bad. Yep. And I don't see a show really do that that in-depth to try and, like, clear that up. But Alexis Tipton is putting so much energy. She's got this sassiness to her. She's got this strength and trying to be strong. But there's that innocence and shyness when it comes to Kazuomi. But also that frustration and anger. That thing when she's freaking out to Arata in episode 5. When she gets caught red-handed trying to steal her bag. I also appreciate how the show doesn't even try to bullshit. It's like, no, you took her bag. That's fucked up. And hearing this frustration, this anger, this sorrow, this vulnerability. This might actually be... One of my new favorite Alexis Tipton roles, period. Alexis Tipton is no stranger to Funimation Entertainment and no stranger to the show. But this is a really powerful performance and actually probably somewhere in my top five of hers now. And that's saying a lot. She's really good too, but I'm super impressed and endeared to her character as Reina. And her arc is one of my favorites in the show. You did good, Alexis. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Where should I start? Um, so I'll also start with Blake. Um, I'm not sure what I can add. I'm not sure what I can add to, um, Koizomi that, uh, Andrew didn't touch on at least a little bit. Um, Koizomi's, he's a good solid dude, but he's really bad at picking up very specific social situations. Like when girls have the hots for him. He's, he's not a, he's not a, nope. Um, but I, I like Blake. I liked Blake's performance a lot. Uh, I thought he, he he just fit the role very well. Uh, he just has the right kind of voice for this character, who's like, you know, smart and clearly like, you know, he's a good guy. He wants to help out the new kid. He's, uh, you know, he's, you know, he gets to be a part of the. Um, what do you call it? You know, he's one of the class presidents because he did well on the test, but he's also clearly the kind of guy who, like, would be happy to be class president anyways because he can, he can excel in that kind of position. Um, and Blake just, he just, uh, he just embodies that very well. Like, this is this is definitely one of the roles, in part because, like, uh, I, I haven't heard Blake Shepard in a lot of things, so he, he, his voice is not one I, like, pick out all that readily when I'm watching anime, so 
uh, you know, especially in this case, like I never, I usually don't think like, ah, oh, that's a Blake Shepard role. So especially here, it just felt like, oh, this is this is just Kaizomi, and you know, there's no there's no actor playing him. This is just the character and who he is and what he does. And I think Blake just really fell into that role really, it just really well. He was very strong. He he always felt very like natural and honest. Um, I really I just enjoyed his performance. He was always, he was just very funny. Uh, especially when he's um, some of my favorite parts of the first couple episodes were just whenever, um, just whenever Arada and An are just making fun of him because he doesn't get it, <laughs> and they're just they're just sort of making you know, sort of making fun of him casually during uh, tutoring lessons. Uh, just always always delightful. Um, and Alexis is really good as Reyna. She is fantastic here. Um, she has a she has a nice hard role here. Uh, like as far like for the first like something like third or so of the show, like it's basically it's more or less Reina's story. We're just viewing it from Arata's perspective. Um, and she just she's I think she just plays this character really well. Uh, she like she has a lot of emotional she has a lot of emotions she has to go through as far as like her issues with her classmates and her own place in the world and what she's like what makes her happy and what doesn't. And I think I think Alexa's is just able to flow with all that really, really well. She can hit all the dramatic notes. She can be funny when she needs to be. Um, she can be like, you know, begrudgingly, kind of begrudgingly kind. Um, she's just, it's just a really strong performance. And again, like I think especially that scene on the bridge when Kazomi, Kazomi finally confesses and they're both just kind of trying to figure out what to do with this information now that they, now that someone said the thing that they both kind of waiting for someone to say, what do we do with that now? What? How do we go forward with this? Uh, it's just a really well played out scene. I think their interplay really helps make that scene work. And I think you know, given given how much like that non relationship is an ongoing plot line, I think that being able to nail that scene is really important to the show's emotional arc because obviously that kind of under that underpins uh, you know a relationship that's forming with two other characters. We're going to talk about. Uh, a little further ways in the episode um and yeah just i think these are just two like really strong well-performed roles for these uh i'm sorry my cat just put his arm on me and i got spooked for a minute i'm sorry Aww. um it's very cute yes um but yeah no, these are just two really like really strong roles for two really essential characters and i think they both just did a wonderful job with it. Like these are these. I, I would agree. These are like this is not just like one of Alexis's best roles. Like this is this is easily one of the best things I've ever heard Blake Shepard do as well. Like this is these are both very good roles for both of them. Thumbs up. Yeah, so starting with Blake Shepard, he's not a person I listen to often. Like prior to real life, the last thing I listened to him in was Angel Beats, and I thought, and I thought him and Angel Beats was. Kind of emotionally captivating, so having to go into a show like this, I think he manages to get handled on it very easily. I mean, you see him in a range of emotions from being dense but happy to being angry, being very complex, even when he's, even when he's excited more times. Hey, uh, how'd the makeup exams go? Did you fail? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he. Because Kazuobi can be very excited, but very angry, especially when he has to tutor Arata. I think he kind of enjoys it a little too much, but yeah, he cannot read the room at all. So when it comes to having to get a little nudge, 
I like how Blake handles the complexity of the character very well, especially when he's nervous, he has to confess his feelings to Raina, and then next thing you know, they hit it off, to which Alexis tempted. I, I don't know what's the right word to use, a glass case of emotions or a Pandora's box of emotions, because, oh my god, man, like, the way she handles Raina, uh, again, you're gonna hear this word a lot. It was like a gut punch to something. Like, she actually came and punched me physically in the stomach. I could just feel that emotion going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, they've had to use a lot of natural approach to this. So, I I don't... I It's probably best not to ask, but I wonder what she had to recall just to capture that emotion. Because that sounds like something you don't handle easily. Like, even, even if it was, like... More of a comedy than a sitcom. That that is not just something you can bring about easily as an actor. And I thought she did a very good job, and I remember because this is what two of the four actors that were on the commentary with Jeremy. They were both asked if they take a real life, to which they both said yeah. So Alexis, she'd want to do it for like a shorter term, like for a week or so, if it was possible. And Blake was wondering. Is, would high school even be an option? Could you do something like kindergarten again? Which I can understand because... <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of good stuff on the commentary. Like. You're selling me on this, this release because I very much want to hear behind the scenes stuff about this. Mm. I will say I did learn about different kinds of nachos. So. Interesting. <laughs> but yeah, like they did a very good job just... Driving home Raiders arc, and I guess to an extent Kazuobis as well. Especially when you get into the OVAs, because I know Kazuobi, his whole thing with his brother, to which you find out, well, spoiler, there's a spoiler the disclaimer for a reason. You find out he becomes a test subject himself. His brother, that is. But we'll get more to that later. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, hang on. Kazuomi's I zoned up for a second. You mentioned Kazuomi's brother. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was a that was an interesting thing where that was brought up during the OVAs and it was sort of mentioned on the off chance. I felt like that was one of those things where it's like I I was told that the last that they skipped some stuff in the manga, but yeah. Which, by the way, something I want to mention briefly about those OVAs. It really didn't feel like I missed anything, nor did it feel like it actually rushed through anything. I was expecting exactly. it to be so much, like, worse or more rushed. It, I didn't feel like I missed anything. I'm genuinely impressed. But it also simultaneously kind of felt like it was fitting with the theme of running out of time, too. I was genuinely impressed, even though it looked... A little cheaper in some regards, but that's that's either here or there. Yeah, Alexis Alexis explained that explained Alexis explained that in the commentary. She said that she feels that the production values of the show were intentional because you know, because this this is the volume the manga is like what eleven volumes, so you can only choose so much fat when you're adapting it to a 13, 17 episode show. Mm. Mm. But they, but they handled that fact very well. Mm. And speaking of handling... Uh, oh, oh, that was a good one! Yes. 
Because everybody knows with any experiment, especially your real life experiment, you gotta have a hypothesis. And in order to have a hypothesis, you gotta have someone to support it. So, our next section consists of two handlers. You went very out of the box with that one. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. So, up next, we have Ryo Yowake and Adenoya. Yeah, with uh, Ryo, he's, he's Arta's handler. His job is to provide support to Arta during the experiment, though sometimes he's been known for acting a little... A little creep, too creepy or so. It's the Brock eyes. <laughs> it's the Brock eyes. It's the information he has on him. But then you get into his backstory. I want to say it's episode 7. You find out that he's not originally supposed to be his handler. It's Odd. Who we learned was training under Rio. But she had complete her training at the time. And as a result, Rio became Arta's handler. Odd can also be read as annoying. <laughs> Although, plenty of times she's anything but. She, <laughs> she's pretty much a uh, pink here with glasses. Uh, pretty much her job is also to provide support. But she kind of interferes with Rio's experiment a little bit. Kind of proving that certain things need to be tested a little more, if you know what I mean. To, <laughs> to the point she hits on Arta, where we f pretty much when they get together in, the room, in his room, I mean in his apartment. I'm sorry, I'm just jumbled in a little mess. All I know is Anyway, she comes scene. on to him. She comes on to him, and then pretty much she kind of spills the beats. I will say though, an actress, A plus. But getting right into these two, Rio is voiced by Josh Greeley, and Adenoye is voiced by Kristen McGuire. Josh Greeley, you've heard him in similar roles such as Andy W. Hole from McQuay and Evil, Armin Arlott from Attack on Titan, Zenji Barber from Hakata to Katsu Robbins. Fumikage Tokoyami from My Hero Academia, and Yuri Katsuki from Yuri on Ice. Kristen McGuire, you've heard in similar roles such as Hidano Kurahashi from Assassination Classroom, Koyana from High School DxD Hero, Hanami Kawai from Keijo, Rin Toyama from New Game, and Malim Nava, aka Please Somebody Give Her Pants in a Juice Box, Please, from that time I got reincarnated as a slime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> are, you, are, are you okay? Are you okay, Armand? That was like that was like the exact halfway point between like a a particularly ridiculous like oh yeah kind of oh yeah and like complete exhaustion oh yeah. I was also kind of zoned out and doing something else in that moment when I said that. I did not think I was. I wasn't even trying in that moment. I apologize. <laughs> Oh. So, yeah, okay. So, these two are fun. Really, really fun. First, let's start with Josh Greeley. Because Josh as Rio is... I genuinely thought this character was going to be a lot more 
sinister or perhaps a little more indifferent than I was expecting. So it was a genuinely pleasant surprise to discover he's actually a genuinely good dude with his heart really in the right place and is a dude who I would love to go see him drinking with Arta in the endgame. Um, but Josh Greeley has this very unique tone about his voice and I think now that we're actually going into the characters that regularly use the real-life pill, I think now we can talk about one of the more subtle but nuanced and interesting things about the direction in some of these performances. Josh and Kristen, as well as another character, or two- Okay, I was doing a bit that I had something in my throat, and then I actually had something in my throat as I was doing that. <laughs> Oops. That was weird. I need a drink. Hang on. You, you got too clever for your own lungs. My lungs decided, oh god, this is this is not a drill. Please don't die. And I'm like, fuck. Okay. What the fuck was I talking about? Oh yeah. Okay, so... The thing with Josh and Kristen, I think that's very notable, about the particular direction and the performances. You can hear the slightest difference in their tone of voice mm -hmm. when they are 27 and when they are 17. They don't sound drastically different, but Josh and Kristen sound deeper and older when they are workers at trying to do their research and when they are actual students. Odd especially is very good at this because she's also always trying to act up and she's kind of being like that, what, what would it be the trope where it's like, you know the woman who's kind of like in her 20s and 30s who's kind of trying to pretend that she's still a high school girl? Pretend, isn't that, think that, isn't that cougar? No. <laughs> No, 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 that's somebody who's, tr no, Whoops. that wasn't me this time, fuck you, I wasn't even yes. going there, how dare you, sir, it's my birthday, I'm allowed it, this I'll, is true, I'll, I'll shove your face in that fucking cake later, anyways, um, so, I, like, she, like, she, what, there's kind of that trope where it's like, the older woman that is trying to act younger and cutier than she is, and it's like, a lady never reveals her age. I think she even acts like that, too, but it's kind of like, th she's already kind of playing somebody who's trying to be younger before you actually recognize that she is part of the real-life laboratory. And Kristen has this very, like, she does this really good job at blending in as this cutesy high school girl that kind of seems a little too dumb for her own good, but she's also really convincing, both as, like, the seductress in that one scene, but also as a very supportive, but as a good supportive businesswoman who's trying to be a good researcher as well. She's not quite taken as seriously sometimes, but you can tell her heart is in the right place. And unlike Rio, I think Chris, like, uh, on and gets a little closer to people and wants to try and get a little more in-depth like she she also is more proactive in regards to sparking certain scenarios to get the subjects to do things like she will sometimes cling to 
she will cling to Arata just to get a reaction from Chizuru or uh, some of the other people around her and to see how Arata will react in this scenario because while, yes, their memories will be erased, you kind of don't want a guy who's just gonna go around and be like, Hey, I have a second chance at high school again. I'm gonna bang all the high school girls. They want to make sure this guy should not go around doing that. Don't do that. High school girls, high school girls, often. High school girls. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, bringing Fruits Basket into this. Very good, very good. But I think Kristen does a really good job. She does a good job playing the high school girl version of On, who's this cute little mis mischievous gossip girl who really does has some great chemistry with Arta. And it's really fun seeing her and uh, Arata just fucking with Kazumi about his love life, and that's just hilarious, but you also see her being much more caring about Ryo, about Arta, about Chizuru. I love that scene where she's genuinely heartbroken, where she finds the thing she writes on her hand, and she's crying because it's like, how could you do that? You're going to forget all this. I can't not report this. I've seen this. This is tearing me apart. Like, this is awful. And I feel a lot of emotions for Kristen's character. And Kristen does a phenomenal job. I also love how she says uh, a lot of really funny things. With She's just a really good comedic foil and support. But she's also really complex and interesting. And Josh Greeley. I am no stranger that I've said before, Josh Greeley is probably one of my favorite actors at Funimation Entertainment to this day. And this is him playing a really interesting... He plays a character with his eyes closed, and anybody who has their eyes closed is automatically like something sketchy and they're a little two-faced. This guy is kind of just a silent observer, but you see he's got more of a character too. He's also a little stunted and concerned about getting too involved because of 001 and getting too involved with them and trying to distance himself before getting more involved and actively trying to go out of his way to help. He's a very curious figure who's also kind of sadistic and playful and fucks around with Arta and also is really good at dodging Chizuru's question when she's interrogating him and he's like, ah, I can't tell you that. But... Josh has this chaotic nature to him, but he's also very sincere and earnest, but he's really complex. And I like when he gets close to Arta. I enjoy the little worker, may or may not have a one-night stand relationship uh, Ryo has with An. And I think, yeah, Josh and Kristen really do a lot of deaths with their characters and both sound distinct as their adult versions and as their high school versions. And that's not an easy thing to make convincing and both of them are very convincing as both. And I love these characters. I love them a lot. Good job, Josh and Kristen. You did great. Oh uh, yeah, these, these are some, these are some good performances. Um, I'll start with Kristen. I I I, Christ, I enjoyed Kristen's performance a lot. She was clearly having a lot of fun with this character. Who I think, particularly in the earlier episodes, where you don't know yet, she's a real life student and she's just kind of playing this sort of sort of not not quite ditzy, but like I thought it was funny when she first showed up. I was trying to figure out what her performance reminded me of because it was very distinct and like um, I couldn't. 
I couldn't quite decide, but I think in the end I, I, I enjoyed it because it sounded like something I might see in like an episode of Adventure Time or something. Like it was this really like like kind of high like breathy sort of tone to it that I'm not used to seeing in a lot of anime dubs. And that stuck out to me very uh, very distinctly when I was first watching it. Um, which also meant that when she she and Arata are like dunking on um, uh, Kazumi for not picking up on the fact that a girl has a crush on him just makes it all the funnier because it's like I don't, it's just like yeah look at this guy <laughs> he's dumb as a rock. I think at one point she's like, "Do you have brain damage? Like actual brain damage?" Yep, <laughs> the thing she says. She is very feisty, but. It's very clear she's playing dumb for a while to get close to Arta, who... And then it's like, as soon as the secret's out, she's like, Yep, I passed it all! Teehee! Yep. She, she is clearly having the most fun being a teenager because she... She seems like somebody who is probably, like, you know... She had a perfectly fine teenage years, but now she gets to do it again. She's just really leaning into, like, the... Like snotty teenageriness of it. It's it's a it's a really delightful performance. She was a very oh, she was a very good student. She did her studies well, and now that she's a worker and she can have a little bit of fun when the bosses aren't going down her neck, she decides, "What if I was the fun bratty girl that pissed people off and tried making relationships happen?" As one does. Um, like she she's she's a lot of fun in that regard. I feel like she's just she's very. Uh, she's just very, like, sharp and, and funny, and it's just a really wonderful performance. And I also want to highlight that scene in the last episode where she finds the writing on Chizuru's hand. And just to the point, she's, like, she's, she's sad because it's like, you're not this stupid. Why would you put it there? I just like her own, I'm like, why? Of course I would find it there, and I don't, I have to report this, and I don't want to. I want you to, I want you to cheat the system. I want you to make it work. Why Why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to yourself? I really felt uh, for her there. That was so Oh, no, completely. Like, it was, it was, it was, like, that, that little scene, like, I think Kristen is very good throughout this, but that was the, the high point of her performance for me, just because I, you could just, it was just so, so raw and sincere. You could just hear how, like, torn up she was that, like, I, I wanted that to work because that was clearly so good for you. And, and you you have figured out a way around it, and I'm so mad that I figured it out, and now I have to do something about it, even though I don't want to, because that's how this works. It was just it was just a really strong performance. Mm. Um, I know I like Josh a lot as Ryu. He is clearly also having a lot of fun playing this like kind of a kind like you find out eventually Ryu is in fact on the up and up. But for the first few episodes, I was like, how sincere is he being? How much of a snake is he? Is he, he a snake? Is he just does he just squint a lot? I don't know yet. Is he a good guy or has he killed at least twelve people? Who knows? I mean, really, who can say with these sort of high concept scenarios? But uh, he's just he's just a lot of fun in that regard. Like he he's very he's also very like peppy and punchy, and he very much knows like his place in the school now because he's been through this before. Um, and he's just a lot of fun, but I do I do like that Josh is able to imbue him with sincerity. Like when it seems like Anne is going to like cause trouble for him, like eventually find out he knows what's going on more or less. But his first ending is still to try and run over and put a stop to this nonsense. 
because we are professionals and we should not be screwing with the clients like this. Rule number um, one of the real life laboratory, do not fuck the test subject. <laughs> well, we like we walk in way to love, just don't cause any trouble. And well, it's a little disappointing. That's rule number one. How many problems have the other branches been having? I ask you. This is They a got ninety nine problems, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> rule number two of the real life laboratory. If you eat the sandwiches that are labeled. We are going to put you back in elementary school, so help us God. Oh, dear. And Josh is just... He's, he's just very good in this role. He... he like, I, I feel like a lot, of, a lot of the roles in this show are... succeed because they are able to balance the... Uh, the comedy that is often the lighter parts of the show, where a lot of it's like, you know... High school jinx. Arata actually being really old and not a young person because he listens to mini discs. I'm gonna bring up the mini discs again. Just you wait. Um, and a lot of a lot of that kind of like comedy stuff, and then it will get dramatic. And I feel like a lot of these a lot of these actors are able to uh, maintain that switch. And I think Josh does a really good job with that as well. Like, um, and not even necessarily in flashy ways. Like even when he's just kind of. Even when he's just, like, writing up about, you know, he's, like, doing those reports and he'll write up something about uh, Test Subject 001 that then they'll, like, immediately delete. And even in just the way he's talking about that, you can, you can see, even, like, in the very beginning when you have no context for what any of that means, you can just get so, you get to get so much across just while narrating the stuff he's writing. Um, it's just, this is a really strong performance on his end. I think he, he, he just really nails this character and what makes them tick so much. Um, yeah, these are just both really, really high-quality performances. I like them a lot. Okay. Okay, then. So, I mean, I guess I'm going to start with Rio because, well, with Rio, Josh has a dynamic voice that matches the cave very well for, like, different performances. Because if I recall, because I know the season this came out, I think Drifters was out. Of course, Yuri on Ice. I think Puzzles and Dragon's Cross was out at the same time. Was Drifters he was the same season as this with Yuri on Ice? Yes! And he was the lead in all three of them. Holy fuck! Mm -hmm. What a good season for Josh Greeley! It was even better for Justin Bryder, but we're not talking about him. So. He is not in this show, surprisingly. Unless he is, like, one of the background Randys. I don't think so. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, is he manages to play a very dynamic, very quiet character who is superfluously, like, complex. Kind of a little creepy at times. I mean, and I like how when Jeremy had put him, because honestly, you could have put him easily as Arthur and everything would be okay, but I guess it was either pushed, it would be either pushing it too much or. It'd be just a typical Josh Greeley role, but Josh, he manages to handle things very well, even the complexity with Rio, because he, in his thoughts, you hear Rio admit that half the story, that the story he told to Arthur about him being his handler, half of it was true and half of it was a lie, and then you had the emotions, because you learn that Arn was actually the first person to scout Arthur. However, because she hadn't completed her training, Rio was assigned to test him to see if he'd be a suitable candidate. 
and going off of that, and here's why I want to keep Kristen for last, because Kristen, when I hear Kristen in the dub, she kind of has, like, this big bestie energy, if you will, like, she can be that, you, you, you know, your typical high drug peppy kind of person. But then as the show went on, and then you get to that, pretty much her, her climax scene, if you will, for lack of a better word. That is not the best word in this particular scenario, that's all I'm going to say. Alright, when Kristen turns it up to 11, it's like, wait a minute, what is going on here? I hear her use that, and that's why I mentioned Koyara too, because she uses this kind of voice to like come on to Arta. I'm like, wait a minute, uh, I, I've never heard Kristen do this before, so this was kind of new to me. Kristen manages to pull off her scenes very well. Like, I never knew she could be this dynamic because it was like, there's that scene, there's in one of the next episode previews. She's having banter with Rio, which that's another thing too. Like Josh and Chris have pretty good banter between each other. And one of the scenes she he said he asked, uh, wait, what does cheese we call you? She's like, the girl with the braids and the glasses. And he was like, Well, I'll call you the girl with the braids and glasses. And she's like, Don't you even dare. And I'm like, Oh, okay, I see you, Krista. I see you. I think what, probably one of her most poignant moments is when she finds that note on Cheese Root's head. Because for a second there, I thought Cheese Root would read the suicide note, to be honest. but Okay, wow. I, you you thought it went dark. It Well, technically it kind of did. But, wow, the emotion Kristen put out in that final scene, it was like... Because here's the thing. When the OVAs came out, and I saw that scene... That scene alone had me consider her for Derby. Just that scene alone. That's how powerful it was. Mm. And I'm and I hear Kristen this one. I'm like, this is a cause honest a typical role and an atypical role for her. And I really like where she took the character, where the character took her as well. And I really want to hear more kinds of roles from her. Like this, you know? And yeah, as you pointed out, Andrew, you can definitely hear the distinction between the two different ages when they're in school and when they're just talking amongst each other. So, all in all, it was pretty solid. A pretty solid job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. Once again, like I give him props. And of course, what's a handler without... Uh, the ha- too suitable. The hand. Wait, 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 wait. What's a handle without the handlee? No, that doesn't work. <sighs> Pretty much, we kind of have a subject. It's time for our main subjects to be manhandled. Is that what you're saying? A subject and the object of his affection, but we'll get more into that later. So, yes, we're talking about our main character, Arta Kaizaki, and Chizuru Hishiro. The Arata Kaisaki is subject 002 under the care of Ryo Yowake. Pretty much guy down on his luck after he quit his job three months into graduation. Was approached by Ryo with an opportunity to do high school all over again, though he was in year he ended up in year three. But say with an opportunity to figure out what is it that makes pe- what is it that would make people happier. 
something about adulthood. I, I can't remember the exact message, but I do know it was very traumatic. Pretty much. He got so settled in his ways during the real life experiment that he started falling in love with a cheese room. To which if Arthur's Subject 002, that could only mean... Subject 001 is Chizuru herself. Oh, that was such a satisfying reveal. Okay, I want to know, I want to know. How long were you speculating Chizuru was Subject 001? Well, here's the thing. Honestly, I had the secret desire. I said to myself, I pretty much hope that this is just like, you know, one, one of those things like everybody involved was in the Real Life Project. I did not actually think that Subject zero zero one would be Chizuru herself. Okay, hang on, hold on to that for a, or, hold on to that thought for a second. I like the idea that every single person in that classroom was a part of their own separate real life investigation, but except Kazuomi, who was a good boy but too dumb and walked into the wrong classroom and just never left. Yes, uh, Chizuru. She's actually a second year of the experiment. And ironically enough, Rio was her handler as well. To she didn't do so well to the, obviously to the point she's doing this second year. So pretty much, she's socially awkward. Like she kind of has little understanding with people at first. To Arthur helps her open up bit by bit. To the point you start to see get into a backstory where she moved around a lot as a kid, and then you figure out. What's the point of making all that effort to make friends if you're just going to be moving constantly? Which, I guess in the way of life, is kind of true. She is quiet the and shy, but she is doing her best, and she is doing a sweet job while being a sweetheart while doing so. She is what the kids like to call... Mo. Oh, sorry, I'm reading that long. There's a little accent here. Um, Moe. Okay, that's what it is. Thank you. My bad, my bad. Well, Moe is not the first thing I'd think of, but that's just me. No, anyway, anyway, during, the, during this first season, they're completely unaware that each other is an e-life experiment. However, Chizu picks up some context clues that may have helped her figure out at some point Arto was yeah, in real life. Yeah, I'd but... argue at least, like, actually going back to some things that she says throughout the show, I had an idea she might have had a hunch early on, but she kind of sort of gets it at the start of the OVA. Yes, and, and then on top of that, once the experiment was said and done, they more pretty much were erased from each other's memories. To the point that when they do actually kind of reunite... It's your like, name! It's fucking your name! I know you guys were getting on my case. She writes his name down on her hand and they meet again when they're older and recognize each other. That's fucking your name! Though, to be fair, your this kind of predates your name. I know though. it does! That's why it's hilarious to me that this is your name before your name! I, I, I should point out, Andrew, I was not busting your chops about the your name comparison. I think that's spot on. I was busting your chops because your point of reference was a, I'm assuming, made-for-TV Zac Efron movie? No, it was released in theaters! It was in theaters! I saw I, previews! I saw it running in 
theaters. I had to remember. <laughs> wow. So speak. Why am I getting so angry over a 2009 movie where Zac Afron is some old dad who goes to school with his kids again? I don't know why I'm getting this passionate about something. I've, I've never even seen this movie. I have no stake in this race. Anyway, enough of 17 to get into your name. Let's get to these names. So, Aruta is voiced by Michael Solusan. And Chizuru is voiced by Chidi Tarado. Michael Solusan, you've heard him in similar roles such as Tomokami Joe from the Raildex franchise, Mizuki from Kamisama Kiss, Yukine from the Noragami franchise, Hyde Wittgenstein from the Royal Tudor, and Yuichiro Hyakuya from Seraph of the End. Jeannie Tarado, you've heard her in similar roles such as Umino from All Out, Kokoro from Darling in the Franks, Kaiseri Numa from Kiss Him Not Me, Tsubame Narumi from New Game Season 2, and I had to write this down because I could not believe this was an actual character name, she is Cluck from Hunter Hunter 20 Love. Yeah! No, wait, no, it's not Cluck, it's Gluk. But yes, she is playing the Zodiac member for the Year of the Rooster. There. I am so far behind on Hunter Hunter, it's not even fun. They're, they're, they're like a month away from finishing the dub of that. I'm actually very excited to see. But yes, she is in Hunter Hunter as one of the Zodiacs. She, she, like, her character looks like she would be a dancer in the Rio de Janeiro, like, par parade. That is not a lot of clothing. It is not! Oh, boy. Hey, so let's get this final section out of the way. Andrew! Okay, uh, pick which one you want me to talk about first, because there's a good amount to talk about both of these characters. Well, since... 002 is the main character. Let's start with 001. Okay, let's start with my girl Chizuru. First, I want to talk about, before I talk about her performance, I want to talk about how satisfying it was for the show to finally drop that she was 001. I picked up on it around episode 8. No, no, wait. I remember what it was. It was the one where, like, he finally where she comes over to his house and she opens up that she wants to help her friends and he has a he has a literal, uh, he has a honest-to-God panic attack. And he, like, hugs her, and he's just apologizing, which I'll get to that in a second. But I had a feeling around episode 9 or so, or 10 or so, where it's like, these guys have been very adamant about, please don't do anything illegal, a.k.a. Please don't fuck the high school girls. But then the both of them are basically shipping this shit like FedEx. That was my first indicator. I'm like, something's up here. Like, everybody else, they're like, okay, nope, nope, don't do the illegal thing. Wouldn't it be cute if you walked home with Chizuru and, like, held hands and stuff? Wouldn't that be cute? Then, as soon as she says, oh, yeah, Rio was in my class last year. I'm like, okay, yeah, something's up. Something's up. And then when I finally dropped it up to 13, I'm like, yes, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Oh, this is great. This is awesome. I love the show. Anyways, Jeannie Toronto. Um, Jeannie Toronto is a very diverse and really interesting actor who I'm pretty sure we at Dub Talk have been tracking the beginning of her career from Grimgar to 
her current origins now at California, which we may cover some potential stuff she's in in California in the future. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Anyways, anyways, um... As I have said before, you hear a honest-to-God distinction of her as a teenager and her as an adult. As a teenager, she sounds a lot more cold and a little bit younger, but she is actually trying to understand. She is not cold by choice, she is just very dense, and she doesn't quite understand people. But you see, throughout the entirety of the show, her genuinely change with the character and the performance changes with that she becomes more open she becomes more less afraid to speak her mind to try and get her friends back together to open up more and bond more with arita and bond with her friends you see her go from this cold clueless bookworm who seriously thinks an evil smirk like that is how friends like each other and that scene where she grows when she confronts reina that i want to understand why would you do that to me I've been nice to you. I want to be friends. I want to get to know you better. To wanting to to hold that friendship together. To wanting to be with this person she realizes she's falling in love with. And falling... And when they're together at graduation and she's hugging him and she's ready to break down into tears. Realizing that this is all they have and all they have is this moment. And it's so great and it's beautiful. Genie is so fucking good. Jeannie is so good. Like, I know she is a great, talented actress who is capable of many things, but this has now cemented itself probably as one of my new favorite Jeannie Tirado roles. And I like Jeannie Tirado a lot, and I like the work she's done in the past few years. The fact for this to suddenly skyrocket as probably one of my favorites, that's saying a lot. She's funny. She's sincere, she's awkward, she's kind of creepy at times, she's really funny, but she's heartfelt, she's trying her best, and that reunion at the end is so great, which leads me to Micah Solisada's Arita. I will be quick with this one, but I will say Micah Solisada is an actor who I have seen who is absolutely capable of switching between an older sounding register and a younger sounding register, which ease. I knew he was absolutely capable of this, and he is. Art is a very complicated, interesting character who really means well, is trying his best, and is really trying to make an impact in these kids' lives. He's a really unique protagonist because he's actually not that dense. He recognizes people around him are doing things wrong or they're doing bad things or that they're into each other. And he's like, oh, these cute little kids, they're so into each other, but they're so awkward and he doesn't know it. And yes, the main draw of the show is, of course, them not wanting to tell each other that they have feelings for each other. But there's a genuine reason why they can't tell each other that they have feelings for each other in the show. Because they both think the other one is 10 years younger than them. And there is a... And they are afraid if they get close, they won't remember them. And both of those things are... Well, one of those two things is true. But they don't know that the other one isn't true. But there's a genuine reason why there's distance between these two. And why watching them slowly but surely break that distance down is great. And the fact that the show actually acknowledges that Arata is traumatized from Psyche's suicide 
To the point that they acknowledge that he is actually having a panic attack. To the point that him tying his neck, tying his uh, tie, or tightening it, actually triggers him. Like, they are not joking about that. At, at first, it's like, oh, he has trouble because he, he doesn't want to go to work again. No! He fears that he tightens his neck too much. He's gonna die. And he can't breathe. And that's a thing. When he grabs over his neck, he throws Ryo off. Because he's genuinely afraid. This is something that has traumatized him. And the fact that it, all these walls are changing him into a better person. Somebody who is more open to do this. And becomes a better person. Somebody who wants to join real life by the end of this. And help people the same way he was helped. Is amazing. And Arta is such a unique protagonist for this kind of show and I'm really happy he was a character in this show and he's fantastic. I know I'm talking about this but I will say Micah Solisat is hilarious. He's amazing. He has great chemistry with everybody. He is dramatic. He is heartfelt. He broke my heart when he was afraid him and Chizuru weren't going to be together and he warmed it back up when they were reunited. I am done. I am done. I had a lot of words to say about these characters. This is a really fucking good show. Thank you for having me on this, Jamal. You're welcome. I'm on. Alright. Oh, who to start with? I guess I'll, I guess I'll also start with... Yeah, I'll also start with Chizuru. Um, this is this is a really well done performance. Um, I've seen I've seen Genie Toronto and a few other things. Um, I think because because of what I tend to like, the one that always sticks out is she's in an episode of the Jinji Ito collection where she plays the weird char weird characters like weird aunt, uh, which she's very fun in. Um, but uh, this is this is not the kind of role I would have been expecting out of her based on what little I've seen her in. Um, this is really just really well executed. She she really embodies this role. Um, she, like, Cheezer is just kind of, like, Cheezer is an interesting character. She is, all the characters are a little messed up, but she's the most messed up in, like, the hardest to, like, kind of find, pin down a final solution on, because, like, her, she's so, she's so distant from people. She basically got, like, kind of badly socialized as a child because she was never given an opportunity to make long-term connections. Like, before we find out what her deal is... As I was watching it, the main, like, the vibe I always got for her was, like, is this character supposed to be written like they're on the autism spectrum? Because this is the kind of, like, bad at social reading things I associate with that from my own experience. It's, like, that, that's very much what this feels like. Like, other people are just kind of a mystery, and you don't really know how to interact with them in, like, any kind of mature way, because that's just not something that makes any sense to you. Um, and I, I think Genie just captures this character really well. Like, you can tell, like, how much of her, like, it, there's, like, a, this awkwardness in her performance. You can just see how much of it is not, like, it's not intentional. She is not trying to be mean or rude. That's just how she, that's just how she is. That's how she's used to interacting with people. And she's never been in a position where, like, that felt like something that needed to change for her. Because that's how everyone, that's how she's treated everyone. That's how everyone treats her. And it's not... It's not like it's it has never become like a point of growth for her up until right now when she starts meeting people that she can actually like bond with. 
Um, and she just, she just plays that so well, both for like, and like for drama, but also like she's very funny. Like it is always hilarious when she tries to smile at people, when she's trying, like trying to smile and just comes off as this awful smirk because she doesn't know what to do with her face. Um, I feel like Jeannie usually accompanies it by a little kind of like trying to be friendly noise that is clearly not working. Um, that little hey, 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 hey. yeah, exactly, and it's like, oh, oh, you're trying so hard, and it's just that's not that's no, no. You're doing amazing, sweetie. As I hold up a camera, and I'm like, oh, she's doing her best, but she's not doing amazing. <laughs> she's actually doing terrible, but I don't care. I think she's doing amazing. So does Arta. Um, it's just, it's just, this is just like. It's just a very, it's a very weighty role for, 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 like, this character feels, like, very quiet and very, if not straightforward, kind of, like, what their deal is seems very obvious initially, and I think that it, she, she just, she threads that needle really well. I, I, I liked a lot of this character in the earlier parts, and I think the way that she grows with the character is just really, just really impressive. Um, this is just... It's just a really strong performance on all accounts. She really nails like the comedy. She nails the drama. She nails uh, just. I don't know. This is almost hard to talk about. It's so it's so good. I find it hard to put into like concrete words. It's just it is good. Had I been watching this like had I been watching this when it was coming out, this would have been a very easy contender for like. Uh, you know, like, one of the dubbies, I think. Like, this is just a really good performance. Had I been watching this when this was coming out, these cliffhangers would have killed the shit out of me. Probably. Although, as we... I'm gonna talk about Arata now, and I'm gonna note, if I'd watched this at the time, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it, because it might have been a little too real. Mm. As, I, as I mentioned, I was Arata's age when I was coming out, and while I was not as directionless as Arata, I was also, like... Working a job I didn't care for. I think that's was twenty. Was this twenty sixteen? Uh, twenty sixteen. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think yeah. I would. I, mean, I was like trying to find steadier work, which was a long time coming. Um, and I think this kind of would have been the start of like just a period of like just really low quality jobs I did not like and were just very draining. And I think had I watched this at this time, this would have been a little like. I would have wanted. I maybe would have wanted my own chance at a second, uh, uh, own shot at a second chance. A little too hard for me to actually enjoy the show. So, that's, mm. putting it off was not a bad thing. Um, but on that note, like, consequently, I find Arata very relatable, and I think Micah just—he is just so pitch perfect as this character. He is exactly what this character needs. He can, he can, he can be funny. He can be, you know, a little over the top when, like, he realizes that he forgot to take his smokes out of his bag. Uh, I, he probably shouldn't have put it in his bag in the first place, you you dummy. Come on. Um, uh, you, can, you, can, you can just be, like, really funny and sharp and over the top and have this, like, really delightfully silly inner monologue. And, uh, but, yeah, he can also, he plays well. He plays well with everyone else. Like, he is so in sync with all the other, all the other actors in all their scenes together. Um, and he can also, he can bring the drama when he wants to. When, like, that, that scene in episode 9 comes up where he's, like, hugging Chizuru and is, like, apo you know, apologizing to his dead mentor by proxy through her. And Micah sounds like he's legitimately, like, having a breakdown right now. It was like, mm. oh, wow, okay. Yep, yep, all right. Yep, this is, this, this stopped being a fun anime. This is, this is, this is some Oscar shit right here. 
both in the both in the slightly pandering sense, but also in the sense of like, yeah, no, this is legitimately like really good. Like it is, it is that that scene in particular, I feel like could have been overplayed really easily, and Micah just hits the perfect spot. It is, it's a little upsetting almost. Because I like, I like Micah. I've, I've, I've got to meet him briefly at a con. He seems very nice. The idea of him being in that much suffering is a little upsetting. Um, it's just, like, it's it's that it's that good and that bad. Um, he's... Yeah, this is just... This is this is a lot. This is a really good performance. This is... I feel like I've seen too many Micah roles for me to be able to, like, sort out what's, like, the best. Um, but this is this is definitely up near the top there now for me, I think. Like this is just an excellent performance from him all around. Like I, I couldn't think of another actor who would have done been better here, and I can't think of a better performance Mikey could have given. Like yeah, dude. Seriously. Okay then. <laughs> so before I start, I'd like to preference off right off the bat. Actors are not their characters. I mean, sometimes they could look like them or inject a little, their old personality into them. And I bring that up because some of the things these two made mention in the commentary. First off, I'm going to start with Cheese Room because the one thing I like about Cheese Room is, of course, her awkwardness. Uh, pretty much everybody said in the commentary they enjoyed her awkwardness because Jeannie said herself that she's kind of awkward at times too. The way she portrays this character, it was almost like it was just one one her, like, cause, her, cause they're pretty much around the same age, so it was just easy for her to just act naturally, as Jeremy would have her do. And I thought she really, I, yeah, she knocked it out of the park. I'm not gonna lie, cause, especially when she has to deal with a wide range, because I know when you get to her backstory in episode eight. You see her use many different focal ranges from when she was a little kid up to her current age, especially when she's an adult, but she was able to differentiate those pretty easily. And when it came to the drama, when it came to having to deal with her feelings for art, I thought, man, I, I, you can really feel for this girl. It's like, I, I can understand why, I can understand what she was going through. It's like, not easy having to be social or try to gather friends. It's not. I can't understand what she's going through. I'm sorry. I'm a jumbled mess right now. It's just what it's. It's that good. It's that good. And I give GD props for that. And now we go on to our main character, Subject Zero Zero Two, Micah. <laughs> Again, actors are not their characters, but in the commentary, Micah said that like. It's, He's just awkward, like an awkward man child. That, that he has like a mind of a teenager. He might have joked about that, but I'm not sure. But he's it was pretty necessary to Arthur as a character, cause you know Arthur, he just he's exper he's experimenting in this new world, just going back to his high school years. He doesn't really quite understand what goes on, cause I don't hold on. Where is it? Cause I remember like from episode one where he starts being whiny about, like, for the time he realizes he has his cigarettes in his backpack. It's like, oh, shit. Because he makes, he makes a, he kind of drives the point home that sometimes when you get older, you forget about the simpler things in life. And, like, sometimes life just moves on without you. 
Also, I kind of feel called out because at one point he was getting into an argument about a disc player. Oh, yeah. And I used and I used to have one when I was a teenager. <laughs> like, yeah, like back when um, MP3 started becoming hot. But I find that Micah, he did very, he did very well, especially for the poignant moments. He has to deal with his sub. Well, he has to deal with the loss of his senpai, pay tribute. And again, Micah too was age appropriate. Like this, when he was around the same age as Arthur when he started this recording on this stuff, but. I find that really helped in this case, it's especially where you had to differentiate between regular Arthur and real life Arthur. And again, I give him props for that. They, they did very well. Everybody did very well in the roles. And I remember when asked, because these were the last two actors on the commentary, when they asked about if they would take a real life, Jeannie said she wouldn't because trash, she might, she might just become the same person all over again. But Micah would never do it at all. <laughs> but, and, but that's the one thing I really like because they learn to embrace the characters. And like Micah, I can see parallels between his character and me because I'm pretty much more or less the same age myself. And I had, I'd ha I too had difficulty in life, like. I mean, not as much as difficulty as Ahmad, but it really did help me a bit in the end. To, to which I'll go more to final thoughts, to which let's get started right now. Andrew, what is your opinion on this dub as a whole? My opinion of this dub as a whole is this dub is exceptional. The dialogue, the vocal performances, all of it is a great culmination coming together. This is a show that really went under the radar. This is a very unique brand of romantic comedy. It feels like there's a lot of different... Like, like it feels like we've all seen plenty of romantic comedy anime, and it feels like this does a lot of the things you kind of are aware that bullshit teenagers do in those shows and plays around with the things you think wouldn't happen in regards to, like, how characters deal or confront with their problems, or how somebody calls them out on their problems, or how somebody confesses. For God's sake, the scene where Kazuobi is, like, at the bridge with her, is like, so I think I'm in love with you? And she's just like, what the fuck? Why would you say it like that? I don't know! I just thought I'd say it! And it's like... This is a really unique and interesting show. This has something to say... Its characters are endearing, their struggles are fascinating, and there's something kind of beautiful. I feel the whole show can kind of be summarized in something Ryo says to, uh, to Arata, where he says, They are at the age where these kids are at an age where if they make a mistake, they can learn the pain of making that mistake and grow and learn from it. This, you can help them grow into better people. And you yourself can learn and be better for it. Because this is about, like, seeing kids who, they're not bad, but they can be better. And showing that everybody has a chance to learn and become who they want to be. And sometimes even those who think they have a little more to learn... And grow from. All they sometimes need is just a little bit of a push and a helping hand to make that happen. And I think that's beautiful. 
and Real Life has a very high recommendation from me. You should totally check it out. Well done, Jeremy. Well done, Jared. Well done, everybody in this cast and crew. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. This is just, this is a superb dub. Uh, this is, this is, I agree. This is like a really good show that I think, I, I can't remember it getting talked about that much when it came out. I'm not sure that since I wasn't like looking at the right circles at the time, but I think this is a, this is a, this is an underappreciated show when it was coming out. And I think this dub is just a masterclass. This is a very good show. This is a perfect dub to accompany it. It, it fires on all cylinders. Everyone is Everyone gives a good performance. Everyone is super well cast. The writing is sharp and excellent and always nails the tone. The direction is wonderful. This is just, this is really good. Like this is, this is something I want to like actively recommend to people as far as just like, this is a good show you probably haven't seen, especially like if you like watching shows in English, like this is a really good choice. Like you can, you can show this to your parents probably. And assuming like they're, they, they care for this particular kind of like funny drama stuff in the first place, they would probably enjoy this. And they wouldn't even have to read subtitles. Uh, yeah, this is this is just really amazing. Like two thumbs up, guys. The best. Yeah, so I've watched a lot of high school sitcoms over a long period of time, and sometimes I always get a bit angry because you know some of the simplest things that happen, like call be call be explained simply. But, you know, it's just, at the end of the day, it's just pretty much, -hee -hee, I'm doing it for the lows. Which is, like, the most egregious thing you could ever do. Mm. So, when I picked up Real Life and I started watching it, and I really like how it's grounded in realism. Like, these are real people with real issues. Like, again, to the point, I see parallels with myself. Like, I can actually relate to this. Because I know at, sometimes anime can be a mistake, but it can also be a strong motivator, too. Like. And I, and I, especially because I've seen a lot of the shows that Megan has covered, and she's right. It's, these kind of shows can help people because I know pretty much, and this bit can get cut out if it needs to. Because I remember last year when we went to A Fest, we took a tour of Funimation, some of us, and we I, we spoke with one of the editors, and he described like how he came by this current situation. He was. 28 flipping burgers at the time decided to go back to school and make a change for himself which ironically enough that was me up to now like i decided to go back to school and make a difference uh, make a change in myself so yeah, i created all this anime hell i credit to micah as well i mean he's the reason he's got my best dubby last year for drama because when well, an anime can really make you think it can really make you motivate yourself i mean that really kind of speaks volumes. And it speaks volumes about this dub as well. Because, you know, if it had been anybody else, I mean, you could have placed, like, some of your typical actors in typical roles. Like, Josh could have been out. Uh, Jamie could have been on. But, you know, you got to take a chance every once in a while. Because, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you'll take. And you never know what's going to happen. And I am glad I really stuck around for this anime. I'm glad I got people to watch this anime and i really i really need to get more people watching this anime but, but let me tell you something if you're interested in seeing the dub for real life right now the show itself can be found streaming on crunchyroll you can watch with or without a subscription just know without a subscription there will be ads real life can also be purchased on blu-ray 
uh, Blu-ray DVD of Right Stuff, Best Buy, Federation's website, wherever you purchase your anime. You can get the uh, standard edition, limited edition, or just the Blu-ray that was recently re-released under their new classics line. Question, does that Blu-ray have uh, the whole show plus the overs, or is it just the show? The over you can only get separately, both on Crunchyroll and on Blu-ray. Okay, wondering, thank you. You're welcome. But as for us, if you're interested in seeing any of the shit we get up to, go ahead and plug yourself, gentlemen. Hi, my name is Andrew, otherwise known as Classy Spartan. You can find me on Twitter at Mangaman9000. I am currently a community manager slash moderator for the Funimation forums and Discord. I am also somebody who is a podcaster on another podcast, Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, with fellow Dub Talk podcast alumni, Jet. Uh, I'm Aman. You can find me on Twitter at AmanDuelUS. Duel has two U's in it, and I talk about movies and comic books and music. And uh, I, have a, I have a dusty old song for this episode, if you'd like. Oh, I expect a really good dusty old one for this one. I, I was going to ask if you wanted to opt out, but oh, no. by all means, go oh, ahead. No, I, if you if you want to do your plug first so, we, so I can I can just ramble on for a little bit, by all means, go ahead. I got one set up. All right, then I'll, I'll come back to you. Then. Right. As for me, I'm an assistant editor for this channel. I can be found on my other channel, Jabstar1. I can be found on Twitter, Jabstar529. I have a blog that's collected dust. As for the podcast itself, we can be found the Dub Talk Podcast on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Insta- Instagram, and Tumblr. Unfortunately, Tumblr isn't getting a real life anytime soon. Oh. <laughs> oh. Clap, clap, clap. So, so Amar, what's your dusty old song recommendation? Well... Uh, so as I, as I think we made clear, I, I like this show a lot. But one aspect of the show that I liked a lot that we haven't discussed much is the score. Uh, oh yes, this might be like top ten anime scores for me now. Like I really like this score. It is so. I I, I was researching around there. Apparently, apparently some people did not like this score, and I do not trust these people. What's wrong with you? I think you it don't might like be. I think the only thing that's even a little odd is maybe the. A co- what I don't know how to describe it. It sounds like it sounds like it's a an, church it, organ sometimes. That, that when, is that is a that is an electric piano. That is what you're hearing. Yep. Okay. And I owned one show. I should know. Okay. This is a strong show. Actually, hang on. Before you do that dusty old thing, can uh-huh. I talk about the part where they confess to each other at the end of episode 16, and the insert song is about. Yeah, make love, baby. Or yeah, let's make love, baby. <laughs> yes, and it's like there was an interest. Yo, the show is telling you to fuck. The show's telling there... you to fuck hard. There is an interesting thing I found out about that because do you know who fe- who is featured on that song? Wait, is that the one? Is that the one Naomi Campbell features on? Yes, <laughs> Naomi Campbell, the supermodel. What? That blew my fucking mind. What is the show score? Well, I, I, I might have an answer for that because I, I was curious about the guy who did this, and I was doing some digging, and he had this is the only thing he's ever this is the only anime he's ever done a score for, and I think I found out why. He's not usually a score person. He's a legit jazz piano player. Like that is what he does. Like if you go to his website, the most re- one of the most recent things he did was like 
he did the music for a lecture that was held about Anthony Braxton, who's like a big name, like avant-garde jazz saxophonist from the like 70s and 80s. Um, so I think that's part of the reason. It's just like, this is not what anime scores sound like because this guy is coming from a completely different world. That's really um, interesting. Which is, is why you get name? this... Uh, it is... I'm, I'm, it is... Uh, Masayasu Tsubo, uh, Tsuboguchi, I think. I saw a couple of romanizations, so I think it might be a little unclear on how exactly it's pronounced. But um, the score, if you haven't heard it, is just this wonderful, like, cool... Uh, jazz fusion stuff uh it is really super well done and so i thought to myself can i can i get something that's like this that also ties into real life's general theme of going back to your past in order to move forward and yes yes i can my dusty old song for this is watermelon man by herbie hancock not his original from 1962 that recorded the beginning of his career but his second recording from 1973 off the Headhunters soundtrack, which was his big step forward to electric music that would lead him into all sorts of weird, interesting directions throughout the 70s and 80s. Uh, and if now that, mm -hmm. now that you say Herbie Hadcock, I may look that up later. Oh, yeah. And if you if you don't want to take my word for it, why not take the word of the Library of Congress who put that album in the National Recording Registry in 2003? Wow, nice. Sorry, 2007. But yes. It's a wonderful song. Go check it out. <sighs> okay, so on that note, any final words before we get out of here? I only have one thing left to say to you. Good night, everybody. Otaku on, my friends. Happy, happy birthday, Jamal. Thank you very much for sharing and opening up to us about that. And there is no way that the show ended without those two fucking like rabbits. They spent the entire year being into each other, not thinking that they could go for it because they were afraid the other one was 10 years younger than them. And as soon as they remembered each other, as soon as they reconnected, they realized, oh, they're both ad adults. That night ended with them promptly practicing speed running the Kama Sutra. Good night, everybody. Putting the classy and classy Spartan. Good night, nerds. Damn right. Otaku on, my friends. Love your faces. Keep it lively. Fight on!